After being named leader of the Conservative Party, the new British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will face a slew of problems. The inflation rate has topped 10%. This is the highest in around 40 years. More broadly, the United Kingdom economy is slowing down, a recession is looming, the Bank of England is continuing to raise interest rates to curb inflation. We also read that it's not going to buy government debt because it's planning to slowly sell its holdings of bonds. That is an in-trade that excludes the cost of living crisis, energy costs and the cost of the war in Ukraine. For any politician, it's a tough line to walk after markets were spooked by Liz Truss's tax-slashing mini-budget. We're going to spend a little time discussing this. Welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at the events and trends moving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. I'm Jeremy Maggs and with me today from London, Investec UK Chief Economist Phil Shaw and Head of Investment Strategy at Investec Wealth and Investment UK, John Wynne Evans. Phil, let me come to you first of all and maybe just give us a broad assessment of the ascension, how markets are likely to react to the new prime minister in coming days. Well, we've had uh, the initial reaction as it became clearer that Rishi Sunak would win the contest to become the Conservative Party leader and therefore the prime minister. And that follows five or six weeks of intense volatility in UK markets, particularly the pound and the gilt market as well. And to be fair, the the past week or so um, or more has seen period where the authorities have realised They have had to stabilise UK markets. We've had the Bank of England buying about £19 billion worth of gilts. We've had the replacement of the old Chancellor with a a trusted name, Jeremy Hunt. And Mr Hunt has been talking about fiscal consolidation and undoing a lot of the previous expansionary mini-budget measures as well. So um, Mr Sunak takes over here, um, having to maintain and improve on the newfound credibility. Um, He could really do with appointing Jeremy Hunt again and following through with the budget with those consolidation measures on Monday next week. So some of the hard work, as I said, the heavy lifting has been done here. He really needs to to continue that and actually to maintain the very high degree of credibility that he enjoyed when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer for just over two years. John Wynne-Evans, let's pick up on two words, credibility and volatility, if we can. We know that Rishi Sunak has been Chancellor before. He's been in the trenches. He has perspective. He has the big picture. This will smooth things, won't it? Uh, It certainly will, although I think the circumstances in which he's taking on the job of Prime Minister now are very different to the role he had as Chancellor. Obviously, he was fulfilling that role during much of the COVID crisis, in which he pretty much had a licence to spend, and you can only really be people's friend when uh, all you're doing is uh, sending money their way. This time, he's going to be taking it back, perhaps, and it's going to be somewhat more difficult, I think, to uh, achieve popularity on that basis. But the key thing is, I think he will understand the background in which he has been appointed and also he will be highly aware and he's had a very strong message from markets over the last few weeks about what markets actually expect from him and from his new cabinet. So, um, you know, I think the key thing for him at this moment is just to not make any mistakes and he should be a safe pair of hands on that front. Phil, while the numbers are obviously critical in this discussion, this kind of appointment is also about sentiment and optics. There's a statement out from the British Chambers of Commerce that says the UK needs a clear, long-term vision of how the Prime Minister is going to deal with the challenges that you've both referenced ahead and create business conditions that allow firms and communities that rely on them to thrive. I've paraphrased slightly. What does he need to say to give that reassurance? 
Well, I think he needs to say that the stabilisation of markets and the credibility is really only the start of his mission in terms of the economy anyway, as, as prime minister. What he has to deal with and his chancellor will have to deal with is a cost of living crisis and higher energy costs and you know, balancing out helping the vulnerable with the cost of the exchequer so that it's an affordable package. And I think further ahead, what the UK could do with is, is, is a clear vision. It could do with stability and it could do with a growth plan. Uh, to raise the underlying rate of growth in the economy. Now, Liz Truss was correct when she said we need to get growth up. What we would disagree with is that you can't just do that by cutting taxes, particularly when the central bank is raising rates to slow the economy down. The economy is a complicated beast and you know one hopes that between them, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor will begin to take some supply-side measures, which does actually boost the rate of growth effectively. But this isn't a short-term fix. It really is a long-term problem and it's something which is going to take time to come through. What are those supply side measures that would be welcomed? Well, many of them are to do with the labour market. And what we've seen since the pandemic is that the labour force has shrunk by something like half a million people. And we've got the rate of inactivity, which is people that are choosing or say that they can't work, has risen by about 650,000. Making some inroad here and making labour more available would certainly help business. And and when I talk to my corporate clients, you know, when when you're out in the streets, you you can see that firms are are finding it very difficult to attract the right sort of labour and in particular labour with the right sorts of skills as well. And, and, And that's really one of the areas I think that the government has to tackle seriously. John, what is your thinking on inflation outlook and also interest rates? Well, the inflation outlook, having hit the last uh, figure that we had of uh, just over 10%, looks like we're kind of set to stay around about this level for a little while. And even as we go into next year, because the um, second leg, as it were, of the energy price cap has been uh, postponed for now, means that uh, you know bills will potentially go up again, uh, depending obviously on what's happened in the wholesale markets for energy as we go into the spring of next year. So that's going to keep inflation you know, knocking around the double digit uh, levels for some time to come. That's going to concentrate the minds of the members of the Monetary Policy Committee of the Bank of England, and they will keep interest rates rising, certainly for the foreseeable future. And then it's going to be the balancing act really between, you know, how high inflation is is remaining and how weak the economy is. And uh, I believe that is an unenviable task uh, for any central banker at the moment. But certainly for now, I think, as with other central banks around the world, they're having to talk tough to keep inflation expectations down. So the key thing is that, you know, we don't get into that uh, nasty wage price spiral, which has undermined economies in the past, although we're already seeing, you know, threats of strikes in all sorts of industries. We've seen them in uh, areas of the transport industry. We're seeing threats of strikes and ballots for strikes in the health industry, uh, for example. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a tough winter potentially on that front. Let me ask you this question then. Tens of billions of pounds have been set aside to keep energy bills down. The government is under pressure to show how it's going to be keeping borrowing in check. But the big elephant in the room here is the cost of energy to consumers. It's a problem. It's going to be with the United Kingdom for some time. Either one of you, what's the short-term fix here, I wonder? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I think the the short-term fix is that we've got the energy price guarantee, which is going to maintain average energy bills domestically at £2,500 a year, the equivalent for six months. What we don't know is what's going to happen in April, as John alluded to. The 
energy price guarantees being replaced with something. And I guess the way of achieving that balance is to go ahead with the six months of the energy price guarantee, but after that, deliver a more targeted scheme, which helps the more vulnerable um, and, and those on, on lower incomes. And essentially, that makes the scheme a lot cheaper. I mean, I think what you would want to see over the medium term is incentives to insulate homes, to use less energy generally, and of course, to accelerate the drive on renewable energy. The, the UK, in a good year, derives something like 30%, I think, of its electricity from wind power. But if you want to be less dependent on gas, and in particular Russian gas in, in, in Europe generally, then you have to look at alternative sources of energy. John, do you have a view on that? It's, it's going to take a while to sort out. I mean, I think, you know, we, we even before the invasion of Ukraine, we were beginning to see that the energy transition was going to be somewhat more problematic, perhaps, than, uh, you know, the optimists had, had hoped for. So on the days when, you know, the sun didn't shine or the wind didn't blow sufficiently, particularly in the winter when it was a bit chilly, there were surging demands for natural gas. And we saw some very high prices, you know, on the, on the sort of the daily level, even last winter. So that is going to happen again. Interestingly, I think over the last couple of days, we've even seen uh, negative prices for sort of on the day gas demand because you know it's relatively mild and the sun's been shining and the wind's been blowing the gale. So you know it's a highly volatile market, and I think that's actually in many respects the the challenge for the regulator of the energy market to to work out and how you how you balance the supply and demand, which has that air of volatility to it anyway. Phil, aside from the energy dynamic, this whole exercise going forward is also about rebuilding and I guess reclaiming trust, both among consumers in Britain and also the markets generally. The kind of tone and sentiment and language that is used by the government is also going to be very critical, isn't it? It is, that's right. And even when he was campaigning to be the Conservative Party leader in summer, Rishi Sunak, was saying, look, you know, you you have to balance the books. There's no blank check, or as some people say here, there's no magic money tree. And I think you have to really set the ground rules early as a reminder that if you don't follow those ground rules, then you get the sort of reactions from financial markets that we saw a few weeks ago. So yes, I think credibility is is partly about the message coming forward and then delivering on that message. But when he was Chancellor, I think um, Mr. Sunak showed that he was a very good communicator and one would expect that to be the same now. John, while all of this has been happening, Moody's has changed its outlook on Britain to negative from stable. How will the ratings agencies be observing uh, the next couple of weeks? Well, I think um, some of them did actually deliver the latest verdicts uh, just at the end of last week, and they kept the kept the ratings unchanged. So that is good news, at least. The truth of it is that, you know, as, as happened to the US a few years ago when its rating was downgraded, it really made very little difference at the end of the day. And, you know, it's not as if we've suddenly kind of become a, you know, a junk-style territory at this point. But it is important, obviously, that the credibility of the government holds. And I think to that extent, they will do all they can. And the Office of Budget Responsibility will present its report with the budget next week. And, you know, as you've been saying, it's all about maintaining the the longer term credibility and showing some path, which will take years, I think it's fair to say, to bring the debt down to more manageable levels. And obviously, the question is, how do they address that? We'll continue the conversation in a moment. I would like to remind you that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio Essay wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us. 
Let's focus on tax and expenditure now, if we can. And Phil, uh, back to you. Jeremy Hunt, who's the new Chancellor, saying earlier, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, the taxes are likely to rise, but Rishi Sunak is not obligated to keep Jeremy Hunt on as Chancellor or even stay and stick to the current timetable for the fiscal statement. How is this going to play out? And are tax rises in the short term inevitable? Well, yes, that's absolutely right. Um, Rishi Sunak can effectively do what he likes with the Chancellor and sets the direction of fiscal policy to an extent as well. But he's very, very likely to to keep Mr Hunt on and to maintain the, the course which the Chancellor outlined last week. And what Mr Hunt did was to scrap the great majority of the giveaway, which his predecessor Kwasi Kwarteng signalled at the end of September, and also saying that we need to do more than this in the budget at the end of the month. And he did say that there were difficult decisions to be made on both spending and taxation. So yes, um, whether I'd call it austerity, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure we need to go quite that far, but a certain number of budget savings do need to be made that haven't been identified. And, and that could be something between 30 to 40 billion pounds a year. But I imagine some of that over the near term will will be the replacement of the energy price guarantee with something more targeted and therefore cheaper. But yes, there are, as the Chancellor said, difficult decisions to be made on both tax and spending. John, in fact, um, Jeremy Hunt said that he's going to ask every government department to find ways to save money. Budgets already stretched. Where can departments find the money but also not compromise on services, given that more cutting is going to go straight to the sinew, straight to the bone? Well, I think that's a huge question. And obviously, I think one of the reasons that politics has become so fraught over the last few years, and we've seen more support for what you might describe as populist candidates, has been a backlash against austerity over the last decade or so since the financial crisis. I think it's going to be hard to go down that route. Obviously, the ideal way to do it would be to you know, somehow increase productivity within those government departments. But um, you know, it may well be that productivity requires investments and, and maybe they're not willing to make the investment in the short term. So I think that's tough. I think if there's an area where it's probably easier to kind of get tax rises past the public, as it were, is what you might call stealth tax increases. Uh, and they can be reasonably easily done by uh, not indexing various allowances. So effectively, you know, a, a bigger chunk of your earnings actually goes on tax than you realised previously. So if you're getting a pay rise, all of that will go at the, you know, the higher tax level, as it were. And obviously, in nominal terms, if wages are going up and you keep the tax bands lower or don't move them at all, that's effectively an increase in the effective tax rate. So I think that might be one way to sneak it past people. Phil, I think I'm looking at the right figures, but uh, in the past 24, 48 hours, the services industry has posted its worst monthly decline in January 2021. I'm talking about the Purchasing Managers Index. We've seen a contraction in activity. Does that signify a looming recession? It certainly indicates that a downturn is likely, um, absolutely. We do think that it's going to be very difficult for the UK to escape a recession. And, and our base case view is that we'll be there at the beginning of next year, albeit not a particularly deep downturn in the economy, perhaps by you know one percentage point or so 
peak to trough. But I think one has to place this into the global context as well. We had the PMI indices from a variety of countries, including the States and the Euro area as well. And virtually all of the headline indices on activity in those reports were below 50, which indicates that those particular sectors and indeed economies as a whole are contracting. So, you know, what we're looking at is not only a a recession in the UK economy, but it, it is going to be a period of weakness in the global economy as well. One of your little earlier referenced uh, gilts, what needs to happen to stabilise the UK bond market, in your opinion? Is the central bank going to keep stepping in and buying bonds, or have they said enough is enough? I think they've done all they need to do for now, actually. I think relative to where things were you know, two or three weeks ago, the bond market looks pretty stable. And obviously, there was quite a big drop in gilt yields yesterday, sort of 25, 30 basis points, which is a, a big move on any day. So I think the risk premium that was built into the bond market has been taken out again relative to other countries. So that's healthy. And, you know, the strife that was particularly going on in the pensions market with the liability driven investing side of things, that obviously because of the mechanics of that and the demand for margin payments and this sort of thing, obviously, you know, was in dangerous spiraling out of control. And I think, you know, the Bank of England did what it had to do in terms of trying to stabilise the financial system correctly. And I think that particular storm has passed and in a funny sort of way, actually. The fact that, you know, index-linked gilts now give you a positive real yield, whereas, you know, six months ago, you were getting a big negative real yield on them. That, in fact, makes them uh, you know, potentially reasonably attractive at this point. So that's quite a big shift in demand potential for investors there. Phil, given the interconnectivity of the global economy, let's look beyond the United Kingdom, if we can. The new prime minister's stance on Europe, is there going to be any change in terms of that general relationship, which is testing new lows at the moment, with particular reference possibly to trade? Well, I think, first off, that there's going to be no move for the UK to rejoin the European Union. Let's uh, start off with that one. But I would hope that there is a more constructive relationship with the rest of Europe, with the new administration. One particular area of friction is the so-called Northern Ireland Protocol. And that's part of the, the Brexit arrangements, which the UK signed up to as an international treaty, which involves numerous checks in goods going from Scotland and Wales and England into Northern Ireland. And of course, Northern Ireland is still part of the United Kingdom, but on the island of Ireland. Now, all sorts of things were being threatened here by the previous government. But towards the end of Liz Truss's term, there did seem to be a little bit of a thaw in relations with a compromise possible between the two sides. So I think specifically on that issue, I'd be relatively optimistic that we'll come to an accord there. But I think generally what we need to see is uh, more cordial relations between um, the UK and the European Union. Let me ask a concluding question to both of you and, Philip, back to you. What's the one big question that your clients are asking you? What's the big worry? The worry, without doubt, has been inflation. Is this a flash in the pan or is it permanent? And therefore, are we going back to the sorts of economic volatile times that we had in the 1970s and 80s where inflation just remained chronically high? And my answer is no. Uh, Central banks have misjudged how high inflation would be and how broad it would get. 
but they're now dealing with it with more aggressive action on interest rates. And that's not just in the UK, that's in, in most of the world. So I, I'd have said, no, inflation will remain high for a number of months before beginning to come down a bit more visibly. Um, I'm a bit concerned about deglobalization and supply chains not holding up and that causing price pressure further on. But the sorts of inflationary conditions that we're seeing at the moment, it does appear that they are not going to be with us for too much longer, in our view. John Wynne Evans, do you have anything to add to that? Yes, I mean, I would say given the fact that we're on the sort of wealth and investment side, that the worries about from our clients are not specifically about inflation, but more about what's been happening to their investments this year. And obviously, given the fact that, you know, bond markets have fallen and equity markets have fallen, it's been a very difficult year for most balanced portfolio investors. And, you know, I've described this as playing defense this year rather than playing offense. So it's about trying to survive. It's just trying to kind of um, preserve as much wealth as you can when you go through one of these circumstances. But obviously, you know, when markets have gone down, you do get people saying, is it too late to sell? To which we would answer yes, on the basis that, you know, there's been a severe derating of equities so far this year. There's been a massive rebasing of bond yields and doesn't mean that things can't go down a little bit further. But markets are already beginning to try to look through the worst of it now in terms of maybe the rolling over of inflation indices, the peaking out of interest rate policy, for example. You know, sure as eggs are eggs, there will be a bottom of this cycle and we'll be out the other side. And when it does happen, it all tends to happen surprisingly quickly. So uh, now is not the time to be panicking out of market, certainly. My thanks to Investec UK Chief Economist Phil Shaw, along with the Head of Investment Strategy at Investec Wealth and Investment UK, John Wynne-Evans. Please join us again on the 9th of November as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.